Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 13th of April, Tuesday, 2021. Good morning, all-time high. Yeah, we crossed over 63,000. Now we're on the backside of that. We're sitting at $62,737.59 as a price of Bitcoin. And I remind you, if you want to help uh, help me, you can share the show and like the show and go give me five-star ratings anywhere that you can go give me five-star ratings at. Somebody asked me yesterday uh, why my podcast is only on SoundCloud. It's not. That's just the hosting platform that I use, much like uh, Guy Swan and Tales from the Crypt use Anchor.fm. The RSS feed goes everywhere. I mean, I've been I've been picked up, as far as I can tell, I've been picked up by every major podcasting platform because the RSS feed is just scraped from those companies and then they just add it to their you know existing index. And uh, so I'm there. You, you don't have to listen to it on SoundCloud. I just put that that link up there because I like I like being able to tweet out the direct link to the direct show uh, the minute that it gets cut and you know recorded and then uploaded. And once that upload is finished, I publish the SoundCloud so that you can go to it instantly because the way RSS works, it takes time. From uh from the hosting platform to propagate via the RSS feed to the other platforms. I mean, I don't think Apple picks it up like picks up the show for an hour. So this is a morning show. It's the morning news. This is for your commute to work and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so you can you can get it on in like almost any platform. You just got to search for Bitcoin and dot or actually it's Bitcoin and space dot space dot space dot. And that should, in most of their uh, search engines, pull me up. So if you could, I'd appreciate to share and like let your friends know about it. Like it, subscribe to it. Uh, you know, five-star reviews, like I said, anywhere that you can possibly find would really help me out. And uh, I, I could always use help. There's not a pl- person on this planet that doesn't need help. All right. And the first person that you find that says, I don't need help that's the person that's either going to remain lost on the highway trying to find some podunk town or break his back trying to remove a refrigerator by himself, okay? Everybody needs help. That's why I'm asking for your help. Now, somebody else who needs help is MicroStrategy's board of directors because apparently they wanted to get paid in Bitcoin and Michael Saylor made that happen. Scott Cipollina tells us about it from Decrypt.co. Let's kick this shit off with some good news, bro. The board of analytics software company MicroStrategy is now paid in Bitcoin, according to the company's CEO, Michael Saylor, anyway. Uh, Per a company announcement, the board of directors, quote, modified the compensation arrangements for directors that were classified as non-employees. Such directors will go forward, receive all fees, 
for their services in Bitcoin instead of cash. In approving this change, the board cited its commitment to Bitcoin, quote, given its ability to serve as a store of value supported by a robust and public open source architecture untethered to sovereign monetary policy. Actually, I, I kind of disagree with that statement. Bitcoin is the sovereign monetary policy. Fiat has become untethered from Bitcoin. It's the other way around, Mike. Under the new arrangement, the, board, the amount of board fees payable to non-employee directors remain unchanged and per the announcement will be nominally denominated in USD. At the time of payment, fees will be converted from USD to Bitcoin and then deposited to the applicable employee director's digital wallet. Now, Peter Schiff made his usual bullshit tweet yesterday about this and said that because it's denominated in USD that the people aren't really technically getting paid in Bitcoin or some such jargon that he used that no, they're getting paid in Bitcoin is denominated at the time of payment so that they can figure out given the the fiat to Bitcoin conversion rate, how much, how many Satoshis to actually deliver to these people. All right, Peter. So, you know, honestly, you tweet more about Bitcoin than you do about gold, which makes me wonder about you, honestly, pal. This news follows MicroStrategy's long line of investments into Bitcoin, which began in August of 2020. To date, the company has invested over $5 billion into Bitcoin, making it one of the most public companies with the largest Bitcoin holdings. Companies also include uh, Tesla and Square, and, and they followed MicroStrategy in adding Bitcoin to their corporate coffers, something that CEO Michael Saylor has described as just the tip of the iceberg for institutional investment in the cryptocurrency. Saylor predicts that an avalanche of companies will follow suit and has launched online courses on Bitcoin for corporations. Some experts have argued that MicroStrategy's investment in Bitcoin have led it to becoming a de facto Bitcoin ETF in the absence of one in the United States. Well, it's because we don't have one. And we're, I mean, the way the SEC is moving like a snail, we're never going to get one. It's just, it's the most amazing thing. I remind you that Canada has three Bitcoin ETFs and Brazil has one. How many does the United States have? None. It's like we're a backwater third world shithole or something like that. Anyway, so right on the heels of that, we got Time Magazine and all their NFT glory. Yeah, I know. I know. It's Time released the NFTs, and but whatever. Time joins Tesla in keeping Bitcoin on its balance sheet, guys. Right. So Jeff Benson lays it out for us from Decrypt.co. It was only a matter of time. <laughs> See, get it? Whatever. One of the most recognizable publications in the world, Time Magazine, will now be receiving some payments in Bitcoin, according to Grayscale CEO Michael Sonnenschein. What's more, unlikely some people, <clears throat> what, sorry, what's more, unlike some people, it won't be immediately converting that crypto to fiat. Quote, Thrilled, Grayscale is partnering with Time on a new video series coming this summer explaining the crypto space. Uh, Sonashin tweeted today, equally as important, Keith Grossman, uh, CEO of Time, and Time has agreed to be paid in Bitcoin and will hold the BTC on their balance sheet, which is a first for our media partnerships in quote. Time president, Oh, not CEO, president, sorry. Grossman retweeted the news, blessing the partnership over Twitter. 
Grayscale is a company asset or cryptocurrency asset manager that holds over 3% of the Bitcoin in circulation via its Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. No further details were available regarding its time partnership. Time won't be the first non-crypto company to keep Bitcoin on its balance sheet. MicroStrategy, Square, Tesla, yeah, you know, you know. We'll go ahead and finish that one off. So love them or hate them. I mean, and honestly, I haven't really, I haven't really given a shit about time for over a decade, honestly, because it's just one stupid shit show after another on their, their pages. Yeah, they released their, you know, a series of three modified cover time covers uh, and released them as NFTs. And now they're putting Bitcoin on their on their balance sheet. You know, what does it all mean? To me, it means that they don't truly understand what's going on, but it looks like they're actually trying to. You know, is that good for Bitcoin or I don't know. Everything's good for Bitcoin, dude. I just we just got to keep up with it. And like, you know, these people are they're doing their level best to keep up, but we'll we'll have to see. Now, one of my favorite writers in the space, CoinFloor CEO and co-founder Obi Nwosu is writing this opinion piece for btctimes.com entitled The End of the Beginning. Love him or hate him, we should all be watching Coinbase's IPO carefully and wishing him well. Mm. Then again, Coinbase doesn't really need our crossed fingers. The company has had a stellar Q1 with revenues up by nearly three quarters to almost $2 billion. More importantly, even than its financials, Coinbase could not have timed it better with trillion dollar COVID stimuli about to wreak havoc on the world's fiat currencies. But significant as Coinbase's IPO is for the industry, let's not misunderstand the milestone. This is by no means the end of the journey toward Bitcoin hegemony. It is not even the home straight. It is, however, the end of the beginning. <clears throat> in the short term, this will keep the spotlight focused on crypto, garnering more exposure and legitimacy for Bitcoin within the traditional finance industry, while providing another proxy for buying coins, just as we saw with MicroStrategy or Grayscale's Bitcoin Trust. Well, that's all gravy for the Bitcoin space, of course, but it will accelerate the transformation of the industry into something wholly different. Because here's what I expect to happen in the medium term. Coinbase's number or numbers will attract any number of banks, payment providers, and traditional fiat-based financial institutions like moths to a flame. Wanting in on the crypto action, they will start offering their own customers the ability to buy Bitcoin and inadvertently open up the adoption floodgates even further. But as more users flock to Bitcoin, the clamor for self-sovereignty, greater simplicity, and fewer middlemen becomes even louder. This demand will be met by advances like the Lightning Network, Liquid, and the RGB protocol, which are already being developed at a pace and will ultimately mature to the point where they surpass centralized platforms. In parallel, increased corporate adoption will reduce and then eliminate the need to convert it in and out of Bitcoin. Just look at Caruso, one of California's biggest real estate owners, which this week announced it will start accepting payment in Bitcoin. <clears throat> Add to this Tesla's announcement that it would allow purchases of its cars in Bitcoin and people can now pay for their accommodation, transport, and basic needs without ever having to touch fiat. Tesla and Caruso, 
are among the businesses that have shown us glimpses of what this future might look like. But there is much more work to be done before Bitcoin 2.0, oh God, don't say it, becomes a widespread reality. A more accurate comparison to our current crypto IPO stage of development is the early days of the web when companies like AOL and Yahoo ruled the roost. These early internet businesses may no longer be leaders, but they laid the foundations for the future hegemony known as the World Wide Web that dominates today. Bitcoin will go through the same transformation. The difference being that we have a much clearer idea of what the world looks like when it has achieved hegemony. So, he's not terribly wrong. I, I, I don't know. There's something about the... Um, where, where was it that he said it? Oh, Bitcoin 2.0 is pretty much the only thing that I don't agree with. Uh, that, I don't know, man. That's just cheap. That's just too cheap and easy to, to say something 2.0. Okay, it's just Bitcoin. It's always going to be just Bitcoin. <clears throat> and the minute we start capitulating on whether or not it's the original version, some other version, Bitcoin 1.0, Bitcoin 2.0, I think we lose. I think we lose sight of the prize. It's just Bitcoin. We don't have to worry about what its iteration is. Its iteration is the replacement of fiat currency. It's not whether or not uh, corporations begin to adopt it. I honestly, I mean, while it's cool to watch, you know, the question that I continuously ask myself in a very adversarial fashion is, do we even need these people? My, my answer is no, we don't need them. So what does this do? Well, it does accelerate everything. That is for sure. But that shit comes with costs. I mean, I like Michael Saylor right now because he hasn't fucked up yet. Okay? That, I mean, that's just, that's just plain talk right there. He holds a lot of Bitcoin. He holds enough Bitcoin, in fact, that if he were to just open market sell all of it at once, you, he'd crash the price. He's not an idiot. He knows that. You got to watch these people like a hawk, even when you like them. Right. This is like it's a this is why it's don't trust verify. <clears throat> as long as I can verify that he has an open market sold his Bitcoin. Then I like him the very second that he pulls the trigger on something stupid like that. I don't like him no more. It's it's not all that hard. <laughs> it's not. Same thing with Musk. Same thing with time. I mean, it's like any one of these guys that pull the plug you know, and say, you know what, uh, we really don't like Bitcoin. We're going to go with, you know, Ethereum or something like that. I mean, it's the whole thing is going to be adversarial for forever, probably, or at least at least until I'm well in the ground. That's what I'm saying. So <clears throat> anyway, now in the annals of stupidity, we have the first salvo out of the Crypto Council for Innovation, the CCI. If you remember, it's a consortium. Very much like, oh God, was the Bitcoin Foundation, which somehow or another, I think that was the one that led to the New York Agreement, which caused the split into uh, Bitcoin and Bcash. And then Bcash became Bcash and BSV and, and the shit coinery just went all the way down the floor. Um, <clears throat> I don't trust these guys. I'm advising nobody to trust these guys, like at all. I mean, even though it's made up by Square and Fidelity and a couple of other people that, that seem to be on Bitcoin's side, the minute they pull shit like this is the minute that I start treating them like Michael Saylor. I will, go, I will give you the benefit of the doubt until you do something stupid. And I think the very first salvo here from CCI is that stupid. 
not sure. Okay. I'm not sure, but let's, let's get through this. <laughs> uh, Ex-CIA director says criminals will move away from Bitcoin in new lobbying groups. First report. This is Coindesk Nicholas Day. Potential money launderers aren't really using Bitcoin, and those who are, many are likely to move away from the cryptocurrency due to the fact that every transaction is recorded and visible to all. They clearly don't understand what's coming on the horizon. <clears throat> That's one conclusion of a report published by the Crypto Council for Innovation, a new lobbying group hoping to inform and influence regulatory action around the cryptocurrency sector. The report, penned by former Central Intelligence Agency Acting Director Michael Morell, is the first salvo in this effort. So here we have it. The report, apparently published by CCI, was written by former Central Intelligence Agency Acting Director. If that does not raise the hackles of every hair on your body, then you're either dead in a coma with COVID or you're just not paying attention. This is not, this is, these are not the droids you're looking for, buddy. <laughs> Quote, as more seizures and arrests are made, we believe illicit actors who are technology agnostic will continue to move away from using Bitcoin for money laundering purposes to other avenues <clears throat> that make it easier for them to hide their activities in quote. The council aims to, quote, move the needle in how governments approach crypto regulation, said Gus Coldabella, chief policy officer at Paradigm and one of the heads of the new organization, which was announced last week, quote, we have a lot of policymakers who are becoming aware of crypto and at the same time might harbor some misconceptions about it, said Coldabella or yeah, Coldbella, who's also served in the United States Department of Homeland Security and was previously at Circle. Again, red flag. U.S. Department of Homeland Security is, is uh, part of this. Oh, sick. Morell, who was hired to produce the report through his consulting from Beacon Global Strategies, said he was interested in determining if the conventional wisdom that Bitcoin in particular is a major tool for money launderers was objectively accurate. In turn, he said he believes that the role of Bitcoin that the role of Bitcoin might play in illicit activity should determine how much attention is given to it <laughs> versus other national security issues like China developing its own sovereign digital currency. Quote, if we needed to be concerned about illicit finance and Bitcoin, by all means, let's focus on that. But if conventional wisdom is not that accurate, we should be going full steam ahead on competing, he said. Uh, put a tie on that suit speak, pal. The former longtime civil servant was joined by his colleagues, Josh Kirshner and Thomas Schoenberger, in producing the report. <clears throat> Morell said, through, though, uh, though the conclusions remain his own, he doesn't anticipate publishing anything else on the crypto industry specifically. When asked, why create a new organization rather than join existing groups like the Blockchain Association or the Chamber for Digital Commerce, Cold Bella said the new council wants to focus more on international regulations rather than the U.S. government. All right, so there's there's a little bit of a little bit of the future there. Fidelity Digital Assets, Coinbase, Square, and Paradigm are the organization's founding members. "Quote: Crypto is, as you know, inherently borderless." And it makes sense not just to address the policymakers in one country or one region, 
but across the world. And if we are to be successful, we should be doing those things. The education piece and the iterating with the, with policymakers piece in a global coordinated way, Cold Bella said. As more and more people get involved in the crypto sector, it will draw increasing attention from different regulatory entities, he said. He also noted that it's important that the industry engages with the governments of the world because these governments will enforce regulations regardless. Well, he's not wrong, but we need to get out of this mindset. Otherwise, humanity can't move forward, guys. Quote, if we don't engage with governments as an industry, then governments are still going to do what they're going to do without the benefit of hearing from people who are literate in crypto and have been thinking about these issues for years, he said. I don't know, man. I smell a rat. I, I can't help it. It's just it's just the way that, that I think now after being in, in, in Bitcoin for so many years. Every, any, anything like this, just, this just smells bad. It, I mean, okay, here's the deal. The way it's written, it sounds good. You see, they're, they're fighting for us. I don't think so. <clears throat> I think what they're doing is they're ingratiating themselves to the powers that be to give themselves a purpose and longevity. And with that comes the iron rule of bureaucracy, which basically states that any institution, company, academic institution, it could be a freaking hospital, anything, okay? It's original mission statement or why it exists in the first place. That what they were going to do, like Whole Foods, we're going to sell good food. They have failed in that mission statement after selling to Amazon. <clears throat> okay, what happens is that the executives, basically the, the people that get paid more in the company for doing all the things, they start doing stuff that insulates themselves and their jobs and their paycheck from assault. When they do that, essentially the people that are on the ground actually doing the things to complete the mission statement, or, or at least try to complete the mission statement, they're basically left out hanging. So you get a bifurcation in any bureaucracy whether it's a government or Whole Foods, it, do, it doesn't matter. The, the higher the pay, the more they want to insulate themselves and the more they want to protect their future at the expense of the entire institution itself. Because as we've seen, zombie companies are everywhere. And when you get a zombie company, nine times out of 10, the chances are good that what happened was the iron law of bureaucracy, where the mission statement basically got left out into the wind to twist because the executives that are in control of the company became more interested in securing their own future. I believe that that is part of what's going on here. The fact that CIA and Department of Homeland Security are even anywhere close to this should chill the living shit out of you. Do not trust do not trust the Crypto Council for Innovation, guys. Okay, watch them like hawks. This is not a good look already. And this is the very first thing that they've done. Now, before I read this next one, I want to remind you that the Ring of Fire is moving, is trucking along pretty good. Uh, the 1 million Satoshi Ring of Fire is closed. And we will be having a uh, closing ceremony, or I think we're calling it a ring ceremony. I don't know. It's kind of kind of odd. It's not my bag, okay? I'm, I'm not the progenitor of this, so in no way am I taking credit for this. I'm just shilling it because I think it's a really cool project. And 
the and, and I've learned a lot about how lightning works already. Like something that I had never thought about was <clears throat> my <clears throat> fee policy. Never thought about it. But because I'm part of this group, I get to ask all the stupid questions. I, I mean, and I don't mind asking stupid questions like, how do I change my fee policy and ride the lightning? I, I didn't know. Now I know. So even if you don't want to participate, like, or, or you can't participate somehow or another by opening, you know, opening a, one of the, you know, being a, a member of one of the other rings that are going to open, it's okay. If you want to learn some of the nitty gritty behind like the, the, like get, <clears throat> you know, knee deep into the, into the shit with lightning, dude, this is a place to do it. It's like a classroom. So I have been given an invite link to this. Now the links that the, the link to this room that, or this basic room that I was given or trying to give out never worked for anybody because it's invite only. And I thought that that link would at least let you be able to watch what's going on. But I keep like, I kept getting people who were called, you know, write me back saying, dude, shit don't work. So soul exporter over there at the, uh, at, uh, the rings of fire project gave me an actual invite link to the telegram group's main room. Think of it like a train station. It's where you go to buy your ticket, to figure out what trains are going where and what time they're leaving and how much it costs to get on one. And then you make a decision as to where you want to go. You buy your ticket, and then you get into another room. Like, for instance, I am in two Ring of Fire rooms. I am in the basic room, and that's where I hooked up with the people who were going to build the one, the one million Satoshi Ring of Fire. I said, I raised my hand, and I'm like, I want in to the one million ring. Boom, I get an invite link to the one million Satoshi Ring of Fire room. We don't talk about anything else. We talk, well, we talk about lightning problems and we talk about who's going who's gonna to open a channel to who, but we don't talk about the 500,000 Satoshi room. We don't talk about the 2 million Satoshi ring of fire room. We only talk about the, the 1 million Satoshi ring of fire. Okay, that, I got my ticket to my destination. My destination was going from the main room to a secondary room so that you can hook up with the people that will give, give you their pub keys so that you can open channels. You give your pub keys so that, that other people can open channels to you so that they can complete the ring. So as far as I can tell, the 1 million Satoshi ring has been completed. Uh, we are now all in a circle. We're all connected with each other. I've got 1 million incoming channel and a 1 million outgoing channel to two members of that group. So my part in that particular ring is done. I can't do any more. And we set our fees really high. Our fee policies are like, like full Bitcoin to actually route through our nodes. And we do that so that nobody routes through us until we're absolutely certain that the ring is complete, holding, stable, and you know nobody's nodes are going to go, you know, are just like really flighty and going offline all the time. <clears throat> so either Tuesday or Wednesday or sometime this week, we're having a ring ceremony. And that ceremony is essentially to get together and we reset our fee policy down to where anybody can start routing through us. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. So if you need, if you want, if you're interested in, in the Ring of Fire project and you want in, DM me. My DMs are open at B-E-N-N-D-7-7 on Twitter. That's B-E-N-N-D-7-7 on Twitter. Hit me up 
and I'll see if I can't fire off the uh, the invite link to the uh, original or the main room of the Ring of Fire project. Now, okay, shilling over. Southampton FC can now pay player bonuses in Bitcoin. Yet another one. Bitcoin Magazine. Nick Hoffman writing this one. Bitcoin continues to creep into professional soccer at Southampton Football Club. Signed a three-year deal with Coin Gaming Group to be the club's main partner, which will see Sportsbet.io remain its jersey sponsor, according to a report. This partnership allows Southampton's players to receive their yearly performance bonus paid in BTC and is the biggest sponsorship in the club history, per the report. Well, let's put it into perspective how bullish this can be for Bitcoin. The Saints' star striker Danny Inga's salary makes him about $5.35 million per year. If he's paid a 5% bonus, for instance, that would net him about $268,000 in Bitcoin. All 24 players on Southampton's roster will be eligible to receive Bitcoin as their bonus payments. Southampton plays in the English Premier League, which has massive sums of money going to players left, right, and center. The potential for these salaries to be paid in Bitcoin is pretty bullish, as that would be a significant amount of BTC being taken off the market, and one can only assume that the players who do opt into accepting Bitcoin will store it in cold storage. This was Southampton's first season with the Sportsbet.io logo on their uniforms and the CEO of Coin Gaming Group, which operates Sportsbet.io, Marja Part, has been very pleased with the results. Quote, our first season as Southampton FC's main club partner has already exceeded all of our expectations, per the report. We've been inspired by the passion of the club and its fans, and it was an easy decision for us to extend our partnership with the Saints for another three years. Last year, Watford FC had a Bitcoin logo on its jersey sleeves. Now, with this news from Southampton, it's clear that Premier League clubs have shown that they are open to Bitcoin, and it's only a matter of time before more teams follow suit. Southampton is leading the way for Premier League teams on the Bitcoin front, and this could potentially bring in lots of income, allowing it to attract more talented players and compete at a higher level. So the next question is, does Southampton hold Bitcoin on its balance sheet? Yeah, that's going to be the question going forward. Speaking of balance sheet, let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids looking okay this morning. West Texas Intermediate is up half a point to $60 a barrel. Brent North Sea is up over half a point to $63.68 a barrel, while natural gas sliding low three quarters of a point, $2.54 for a thousand cubic feet of that. Shiny metal rocks are kind of mixed. Gold is down a fifth of a point, $1,728 sorry, $1,728. Silver is up a half a point, $24.99. Platinum is down over a half. Copper is up a quarter, and palladium is up, wow, 1.13%. Pretty good, bro. Uh, Wheat is up half a point, in case you care. Let's see, indices all down. They're probably all selling to get enough cash on hand to buy the uh, Coinbase IPO tomorrow. I don't know if that's the way it works, but I mean... Honestly, I don't know if we can buy as plebs like like Coinbase shares if we wanted to. I'm not all that particularly interested. Although I'm probably being really stupid about that, honestly, because you can, you, I can hate Brian Armstrong until the cows come home, and it is not going to make a damn bit of difference. Because when that shit lists tomorrow, it's going to be apocalyptic. 
at least to the upside. That's what I think. I mean, I, I could be wrong and it could just go eh, meh, but I doubt it. I think Coinbase, the Coinbase IPO is going to be freaking huge. Anyway, so the Dow futures down a third, S&P futures down a quarter, NASDAQ futures down almost nothing, like 0.04%, and the S&P mini is down 0.55%. Now, money, $62,646.34, so we're sliding off of the highs a little bit, which is to be expected. There's, I don't know. I still think people are just really stupid when it comes to this, but <clears throat> whatever. I don't get to control them, thank God. 316,103 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is about 13,200 transactions on average every hour, with 595,500 BTC being sent in that last 24-hour period. That gives us about 25,000 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with the average transaction value being 1.88 BTC and the median transaction value being 0.018 BTC, which is well over $1,000. Block time is low, nine minutes and 44 seconds, 0.64 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 94.7 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. With a 1.19% dip in hash rate, we are at 168.6 exahashes per second. And your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, which is sitting at 7.7 .7 United States pennies. That's right, people. The Dogecoin is at 7.7 .7 cents, which doesn't make any sense at all. But if that's, well, that is your shitcoin indicator. And it, it tracks. Ethereum Classic is at 20. Litecoin is at 265.81. I, you know, as a Bitcoiner, watching, you know, having to live through alt season is kind of gut-wrenching simply because it's like just the, the crap we're going to have to deal with, with people saying, see, see. And I think I've got, do I have some? I think I've got somebody. No, I don't. Um, also, I, I was going to... Uh, to preview the train wrecked, but I didn't select it as the train wrecked. Got a guy yesterday on Twitter <clears throat> who was expounding about how much better XRP has performed than, than Bitcoin. And of course, the, you know, Maxis are trying to tell him that he's screwing up, you know, and, and, but he just won't, he just won't take it. He just won't do it. And uh, he just keeps going and going and going and going and going. So I finally look at his profile and figure out that he joined Twitter last month and has three followers. And it's not the follower count. It's not like I'm saying that, you know, your follower count is, is who you are. I mean, by that measure, I'm, I'm basically a nobody too. But I've been around since, you know, God, I, I got my Twitter account. I think it was like 2011, 2012. I've been in Bitcoin since 2015. I did not join last March and start expounding about the, 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 the coming hegemony of, of XRP and how much more money I'm going to get. Now, what was funny about that is that when I exposed it and I said, basically said standard shit coiner right here uh, and then had screenshots of the fact that he joined in March and was saying stupid shit about XRP, he deleted the whole account. I don't know if that was my fault. Um, he may have just gotten so much shit on that thread that he finally said, this is not worth it. So he completely, he completely nuked his account. So... <laughs> Get one for good one for the plebs here, man. Good one for the plebs. There are forty six thousand four hundred and thirty four transactions awaiting eighty seven blocks to clear. 
We have a market cap of $1.17 trillion and we are well over 10% of Bitcoin's gold market, or sorry, of gold's market cap. We are at almost 10.5%. 36.3 ounces of shiny metal rock is what one Bitcoin is going to buy you if you are dumb enough to sell your Bitcoin for shiny metal rocks. We have 18,681,448.76 BTC in the money supply at a price of 62,840, according to Clark Moody's dashboard. There are 1,209 BTC in the Lightning Network with a capacity value of $76.0 million. God, I remember when it was in the 20s. Total nodes number 10,594 with 42,627 open channels. Tor capacity is at 57.6%, and that represents 696, <laughs> 696.74 BTC, and that is being run over 4,765 Tor nodes that we somehow know about. That's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. And who's your favorite money launderer? HSBC is your favorite money launderer because they laundered money for drug cartels that had people killed. HSBC did that. That's not, that's not conjecture. That actually happened. They got in no trouble for it. So what are they doing today? Well, they apparently lack an appetite for Bitcoin, so they ban MicroStrategy stock. Jeff Benson lines it out for us on Decrypt.co. HSBC, one of the world's largest money launderers, I mean banks, already blocks transfers from cryptocurrency exchanges to client accounts. It's taken its anti-crypto policy a step further. The bank confirmed to Reuters that it no longer allows customers to trade microstrategy stock due to the company's significant Bitcoin holdings. In an apparent March 29 message to the clients, uh, on HSBC's Invest Direct stock trading platform, the bank said that it had changed the policy on virtual currencies and virtual currency-related products. As a result, clients can no longer purchase or transfer such assets, though they can continue to hold or sell them. Sounds a lot like uh, Robin Hood, honestly. HSBC has no appetite for direct exposure to virtual currencies and a limited appetite to facilitate products or securities that derive their value from virtual currencies, HSBC said in a statement reported by Reuters today. And you got a lot of appetite for drug money, though. MicroStrategy, a publicly traded cloud software company based in the U.S., controls over 91,000 BTC. The cryptocurrency comprises 80% of its treasury, meaning that the company's day-to-day -day fortunes are contingent on Bitcoin's market price thus far. The strategy has worked. MicroStrategy has converted its $2.2 billion original investment into close to $5.5 billion as Bitcoin's price has risen to record highs. So what do you think about that? Largest money launderer in the world. The largest drug money accepting institution on the planet decides that it doesn't like Bitcoin. And not only that, they sent a message to Michael Saylor by saying, we're not going to trade your stock. You know what Michael Saylor's probably saying? I don't care. <laughs> That's the one thing that, will, that I will always like about Michael Saylor, even if he does, you know, cut and run on Bitcoin. Uh, he just doesn't give a shit. It's not going to hurt him one bit. 
it's just not. Now, the Crypto Open Alliance Patent, or sorry, Crypto Open Patent Alliance, or COPA, bad name. It's a one, one letter away from COPE. And we throw that around to shitcoiners all the time. <clears throat> anyway, the Crypto Open Patent Alliance is suing Craig Wright over Bitcoin white paper claims. This is, there's no way I can spell, pronounce this gentleman's name. I am sorry. I think his first name is pronounced Ike. Not sure. Bitcoin Magazine has this. The Cryptocurrency Open Patent Alliance has announced that it has initiated a lawsuit to declare that Craig Wright does not have copyright ownership over the Bitcoin white paper. Quote, Today, COPA initiated a lawsuit asking the UK High Court to declare that Mr. Craig Wright does not have copyright ownership over the Bitcoin white paper, COPA tweeted along with an image of a High Court form. Earlier this year, lawyers representing Wright demanded that some of those hosting the paper take it down as Wright is the real person behind Bitcoin's pseudonymous creator Satoshi Nakamoto and publicly hosting it violates his copyright. Which one? The MIT open copyright that it actually had? Whatever. Bitcoin core developers initially removed the white paper from Bitcoin.org, for instance, for fear of legal retribution. Quote, the Bitcoin white paper was included in the original Bitcoin project files with the project clearly published under the MIT license by Satoshi Nakamoto, according to a follow-up statement from Bitcoin.org upon rehosting the paper. Quote, we believe there is no doubt we have the legal right to host the Bitcoin white paper. See, I didn't even hear about that shit. I didn't know they were going to go ahead and rehost it. Good for y'all. Good for y'all. I got, I crawled up. I, I, I kind of like berated Bitcoin.org. I feel, feel bad about it, but at least they put it back up. So there's that. Wright has continuously claimed that he is Satoshi and has been met with sustained incredulity from the Bitcoin community. Now, COPA, which was formed by Square, okay, keep this in mind, COPA, which was formed by Square last year to combat stifling industry patents, is taking the legal battle to Craig Wright. Quote, we stand in support of the Bitcoin developer community and the many others who've been threatened for hosting the white paper, COPA tweeted. In February, COPA shared the letter that its lawyer sent in response to Wright's cease and desist letter regarding its own decision to host the Bitcoin white paper. All right, keep, what, what is it to keep in mind? COPA is a Square company. That's Jack Dorsey. Square also sits on the Crypto Council for Innovation, or the CCI, which is connected apparently somehow to CIA directors and, and you know, department heads of Homeland Security. I don't like that. I'm never going to, you're never going to convince me that I should like that. So even this COPA thing, even though that what they're doing is the right thing to do, I'm not sure about how I feel generally speaking about COPA being involved at all, okay? Or the, the, its formation at all. Last thing we really need is yet one more fucking council to, tell, so, to try to tell the world what they think Bitcoin is. That's the worst mistake that you can make is to give your interpretation of what you think Bitcoin is as being the only answer to what Bitcoin could ever possibly be. That is not the right way to go. If you want to further the way Bitcoin works and how it spreads through a population, you need to let the organisms of those populations intake it under their own auspices, in their own time. Like it said, 
you'll buy Bitcoin at the price you deserve. Moving on, U.S. firm splashes out on 4,800 Bitcoin miners worth about $34 million. Greg Thompson, Cointelegraph, Pennsylvania software firm Integrated Ventures has announced the purchase of 4,800 Bitcoin mining rigs from Chinese manufacturer Bitmain. The deal is worth just over $34 million and we'll see 400 of Bitmain's Antminer Model S19Js delivered to Integrated Ventures each month for the next year, if they can build them. Integrated Ventures partnered with Wadham Management, a mining solutions provider to, provider to carry out the deal, with Wadham expected to help host and manage INTV's mining operations. The mining rigs deliver 100 terahashes each. Oh, I don't think so. Uh, maybe. That seems a little high, though. Giving IV close to half a million terahashes. Yeah, half a million terahashes by the time the full shipment of mining rigs is delivered by 2022. Based on Bitcoin's current hash rate of 170 million terahashes per second, this gives the firm a sizable, if still relatively modest, share of the coin's hashing power. It's worth noting that Bitcoin's hash rate doubled in the past year alone, meaning IV's equipment could feasibly be worth much less come next year. Perhaps with this in mind, INTV secured a downside price protection for 12 months as part of the deal, as well as the right to replace the current S19J mining rigs with newer models when they are released in the coming year. Few would expect the cryptocurrency market to remain static for any great length of time. However, INTV calculates expected revenues between 19 million and 21 million in the next 12 months based on the current price of around $60,000. CEO of Integrated Ventures, Steve Rubach, said the deal effectively doubled the firm's existing Bitcoin hashing power, adding that he was pleased to secure the purchase of mining equipment at a time when the hardware was scarce. No shit, dude. Quote, the company is very pleased to secure this large-scale purchase agreement, especially during a period of scarce supply of mining hardware. Going forward, INTV is committed to deploy any raised capital for purchases of the mining equipment, said Rubach. So we have another acceleration in North American mining, which is nice. This is good to see. I'm, I'm, I'm happy about this. Um, Galaxy Digital files for an ETF. So I guess that makes it, what, number 25 on the stack of, at the SEC? Wow. Uh, anyway, they're, they're joining a growing list. And uh, who's going to tell us about it? Oh, Ala Wampluni Adejumo. I probably butchered it. I tried, though. Galaxy Digital, a digital asset-focused investment firm owned by Mike Novogratz, has submitted a Bitcoin exchange-traded fund proposal to the SEC. The move sees Galaxy Digital join a steadily growing list of applicants interested in regulatory approval to offer a Bitcoin ETF in the United States, though none have yet been approved. Ever since recent management change in the SEC, several investment firms have submitted proposals to offer Bitcoin ETFs, including Valkyrie, Nidig, and more. Well, now Galaxy has joined the race with plans to trade on the NYSE, ARCA, and reflect the Bloomberg Galaxy Bitcoin indices performance per the proposal. Good God. It is still uncertain if any of the proposals submitted will be accepted, but the ETF market would represent a great coup for any cryptocurrency investment firm that manages to corner it. ETFs have several advantages as investment vehicles, including cheaper and more accessible shares. 
Though a Bitcoin ETF would not offer Bitcoin exposure directly, it would allow investors closer access to one of the greatest performing assets in history. For instance, the Purpose Bitcoin ETF, the first such product granted regulatory approval in North America, quickly broke investment records upon becoming available. Given Bitcoin's recent price performance and the influx of more typically risk-adverse investors into the BTC market, it's more than likely that a U.S.-based Bitcoin ETF would see intermediate and sustained success. Yeah, if they'll ever approve one. That's the problem, guys. They just don't seem to be interested in actually approving it. We'll see what happens after this, though. Bitcoin is a caged bull ready to escape at 60,000, says Bloomberg Intelligence. William Suberg's writing this one for Cointelegraph. Uh, Bitcoin is a caged bull, and the end of its current price run is nowhere near 60,000, said Bloom Bloomberg Intelligence. In a tweet on Monday, senior commodity strategist Mike McGlone delivered his latest bullish verdict on the state of Bitcoin this month. <clears throat> According to McGlone, who eyed a declining BTC supply coupled with roaring demand from new investors, Bitcoin has far to go before it reaches a cycle top or the plateau. Still in price discovery mode, Bitcoin plateau appears distant. Bitcoin supply is declining and demand is rising, leading us to expect continued price appreciation and the establishment of a higher plateau as the crypto matures, he commented. An accompanying chart described a Bitcoin as a caged bull well-rested to escape. Quote, end quote. It included Bollinger Bands for Bitcoin, a popular tool for assessing upside and downside volatility. Compared to the year after its two previous block subsidy halvings in 2012 and again in 2016, meanwhile, 2021 for McGlone is tame in terms of price action. This chimes with other analyst perspectives among the popular Ecoinometrics Twitter account, sorry guys, which on Monday again highlighted just how modest Bitcoin's post-having growth has been over the past year compared to cycles past. McGlone is a well-known Bitcoin fan, frequently voicing his excitement for the cryptocurrency's growth based on various macro and on-chain metrics. At, oh, oh, and Galaxy moves in on Bitcoin ETF. Yeah, we know. We already read that one. So, <laughs> so what to say about that? I don't know. Nobody knows what Bitcoin's price is going to do. Nobody. I, I don't care who you are. You, don't, you, you do not know what Bitcoin's price is going to do. And if you're telling people that you do know what it's going to do, you're being disingenuous. If you've been around the space for any length of time whatsoever, the only thing that we can arguably say is that number go up technology over a long enough period of time means we're going to be okay, fam. Now, Wall Street for all, India's crypto crowd fights back. That's Bloomberg opinion. Andy Mukherjee is writing this one. India's beleaguered blockchain industry has finally got some solid support to ensure its survival with an influential industry evangelist evoking the vision of a billion smartphones acting as gateways to the brave new world of decentralized finance. Oh, Jesus. In, in this world, Wall Street's capabilities will become available to everybody, according to angel investor Balaji Srinvridzen, sorry, formerly the chief technology officer at Coinbase Global Incorporated. Quote, we could turn every phone into not just a bank account, but a bona fide Bloomberg terminal, he writes on his blog. Mobile banking has indeed emerged as a way to end financial exclusion. 
a chronic problem in every emerging market. In India, payments worth almost $60 billion are taking place every month via wireless devices, three-fifths more than ATM withdrawals. A year ago, cash was ahead by 37%. At this rate of digital adoption, the lead enjoyed by checks might also soon vanish. But because India has done exceedingly well in mobile payments, the bureaucracy has developed a phlegmatic, uh, phlegmatic resistance to newer ideas. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are misunderstood as investments or instruments of money laundering that offer no real benefits. The country's nascent blockchain industry, survivor of an attempt on its life in 2018, is growing up in fear. According to media reports, a new law might ban all tokenized representation of money unless it is the central bank's own electronic cash. Uh, Balaji's advocacy has thus come at a crucial time. A wallet or digital wallet that can handle both central bank-issued electronic cash and cryptocurrencies will end up giving every Indian the ability to make both domestic and international transactions of arbitrary complexity, attracting crypto capital from around the world and leapfrogging the 20th century financial system entirely, he said in his blog post. A sometime Stanford University lecturer in computational biology and statistics and co-founder of a genomic startup, Balaji is a recognized name in the rapidly growing field of smart contracts. Running on the Ethereum blockchain, these lines of cryptographic code can substitute for paper agreements, calculations of who owes what to whom, and enforcement of claims via the courts. It's early days, but if they live up to the hype, smart contracts could upend traditional finance. Balaji is proposing to put this new age capability within each uh, within reach of India's internet users who will be nearing the 1 billion mark by 2023. What's more, iSpirit, the think tank that has conceived much of India's digital identity and payments architecture is putting its weight behind the idea, which it says can help fill a $250 billion financing gap for small and mid-sized firms. Uh, meritorious business without national profiles aren't able to access the capital that they need, the Bangalore-based think tanks researchers wrote in a companion paper to Balaji's article. The message is clear. The tech industry is picking up the cudgels on behalf of blockchain entrepreneurs with Nadan Nilekani, a co-founder of software exporter Infosys LTD and the architect of India's universal identification program, amplifying iSpirit's case with a tweet which says, how does India become a $5 trillion economy? We'll need to close the $250 billion financing gap for India's small businesses by attracting global risk-tolerant pools of capital. And as iSpirit details, the rapidly growing crypto economy may be one of the key ways. The arguments should give policymakers pause before they impose some sort of impractical, impossible to enforce ban on cryptocurrencies. Millennials have already embraced tokens. India is of late providing more volume than China on popular peer-to-peer platforms for transferring Bitcoin and other digital assets. The bureaucracy will no doubt push back. The Reserve Bank of India, which tried in 2018 to cut off the digital assets industries linked to local bank accounts, would likely see Balaji's proposal for democratized access to international finance as an end to its capital controls. Even students, he says, should be allowed to issue personal tokens. (laughs) Yes, of course you would. Collateralizing the worth of their future time. That's just dumb. Sorry, it is. 
I can't find anything good about that. Monetary policy may have may then have to give up trying to manage the exchange rate altogether. Maybe the authorities will propose a compromise, experimentation in baby steps. That'll be just fine, considering that it's still modest $50 billion decentralized finance industry will need time to mature. As the Greensill capital fiasco showed, even promising innovations in closely supervised conventional finance, such as supply chain financing, aren't without their big blowups. At a minimum, decentralized finance offers a third option. Traditional banks are slow and expensive, while financing by large e-commerce firms could get too dominant. Quote, big techs can use their platforms to generate large amounts of customer data, employ it in training their artificial intelligence algorithms, and identify high-quality loans more efficiently than competitors lacking the same information, says University of California Berkeley economist Barry Eichengreen. China is is reigning in its tech titans and may launch its official digital currency next year. India, meanwhile, is still debating whether it can employ blockchain technology and social projects like land registry while barring tokens from circulating as money. With proponents like Balaji and Niall Kani, the, uh, the conversation will hopefully, hopefully become more real. Okay, there you go. So that's, that does it for that. Yeah, who knows what India is going to do? They've been flip-flopping around since 2016. And they've gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And they never seem to be able to make a decision. And I don't hold out hope that Balaji is going to be able to make that decision easy, you know, any easier for them. Because uh, honestly, I have come to f- find out that India is probably one of the most authoritarian governments on the face of the planet. And I've known many Indian people. And I don't get it. They don't seem like the kind of people that want to be controlled. They don't seem like the, the kind of people that are just evil at heart. All the ones I know are really damn nice. And I know that doesn't speak for the whole damn country, but I have yet to meet a, you know a, any anybody out of India that even looks remotely like they want to be controlled or want to be in control. And it's, it just surprises me. And maybe this is the iron law of bureaucracy. It doesn't matter what your roots are. It doesn't matter what your beliefs are. If you're in a bureaucracy, you're going to either be boots on the ground, furthering the mission in the way that, that, that you think is good for the people, or you're going to be the executives that are literally trying to insulate themselves from death all the time. And I think that that's what, I think that's what's happened here because this shit, this shit destroys legacy finance, all of it. I mean, I mean, even the shittiest of the shit coins have the power to eat into, you know, legacy finance. And I don't even like shit coins. That just goes to show me just how weak legacy finance is. If Dogecoin can be employed as a tool at this point against legacy finance and it actually does shit and works, that means that it's eating legacy finance. And I don't even like Dogecoin. It's my shit coin indicator for God's sakes. You guys, you figure this out on your own. We're going to get into the rest of the show right now. That's it for the morning roundup. Daily Train Wrecked brought to you by Documenting Bitcoin, which is at DocumentingBTC on Twitter. It's actually a really good Twitter account. I'm really impressed with it. I wish I knew how to be as successful as these guys. Anyway, Goldman Sachs has to put Bitcoin at the top of their report every week after calling it not an asset class only a year ago. 
Now, is that really the, the train wreck here? No, it's not. However, I am looking at their market performance, which year-to-date absolute and risk-adjusted returns is the name of this particular page from Goldman Sachs. And yes, Bitcoin is at the very tip top of total return. Also, the risk-adjusted return or the Sharpe ratio is also at the top with a whopping 2.2 Sharpe ratio, which I find absolutely hilarious. No, no, the real train wreck is down at the bottom where you have the four negative returning assets that Goldman Sachs own. And what's at the very bottom of the list? Gold at minus 8% return. And if you think that's bad, just right up above it is the 10-year U.S. Treasury yielding minus 6%. Uh, let's see, IG credit is minus 4 And, uh, oh, uh, the dollar versus the euro pair is uh, also down. Uh, honestly, if you look at this, it just it's like everything just sucks except for Bitcoin, energy, crude oil, financials, and communication services, and then you get into some Russell stuff and real estate, but even, even those aren't really performing all that well, although they are double digits. When you get to single digits, it's the MSCI developed markets. And below that, like information technology, it's all yielding single digits for them. So energy and Bitcoin and financials and Bitcoin's at the top of the list. You might want to keep that shit in mind. Now, <clears throat> let's see here. Where are we at? Dad, we got to go with dad. Uh, my daughter told me she saw a deer on the way to school. So I asked her, how do you know it was going to school? Ah, I love it. Okay. Once again, reminding you that if you want to get in on the ring of fire action, uh, DM me at B-E-N-N-D-7-7. That's B-E-N-N-D-7-7 on Twitter. I have an invite link. It works. It's getting people into the to the main room. So hit me up. Also, it'd be nice if you guys would like, share, you know, the show. I, I want to grow this thing and I need your help to do it because as I said at the beginning of the show, we all need help. Five-star reviews anywhere that you can you can drop them, iTunes, whatever your favorite podcasting app might actually be. Any place that you can give a review of a podcast, I would really appreciate it. It would really help me out. And uh, well, happy all-time high day, guys, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.